Hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the e-commerce Fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping seven-figure store owners build incredible businesses and remarkable lives. I'm your host, Andrew Darian, and if you're at ECF Live, which is going on right now, we're in the third day when this airs for the first time, and you're also catching listening this, to this episode, come find me so I can, I can buy you a, a drink, because that's awesome. <laughs> That's impressive if you're able to do both. In the middle of the conference, recording this, of course, prior to the event, but I'm guessing we're having a lot of fun and looking forward to doing a post-event wrap-up in the coming week. So, so stay tuned for that. But today on the show, uh, I'm joined by Richard Jolly Chandra, uh, or RJ as he's commonly known uh, or goes by from 101 Commerce. And he's got the audacious goal of acquiring 101 FBA businesses, which I want to talk to him one because I just thought it was interesting. You know, pretty gutsy to go after something like that, raise some money to go go after those deals. So I wanted to learn how he's going to be, you know, if he's worried about, a lot of people that we talk to, a lot of store owners are really worried about having too much of their revenue dependent upon Amazon. And RJ is going all in on that model. So I wanted to get his thoughts on that, if, if that, you know, if that's something that scares him to death, it would scare me to death. It scares a lot of people to death. But get his thoughts on that. I think about his philosophy for managing, how he's going to manage all of those different businesses. You know, it's it's hard enough to run one business really well, let alone a hundred. So uh, I was just fascinated by the goal and also want to kind of dive into some of the logistics. So having RJ on the show to talk through that today. Before we jump into the discussion, I want to give a big thank you to our two sponsors who make the show possible. First, to the team at Liquid Web who offers incredible hosting uh, if you need regular hosting online. But what they do really, really well in our space is hosting for WooCommerce stores. So if you're on WooCommerce, if you want to be on WooCommerce, you want all the functionality and all the customization of WooCommerce, all the extendability with all the plugins, but you don't want to deal with the nightmare of tech that comes with running your own open source shopping cart, and you're not interested in hiring a full-time developer, you should chat with Liquid Web. They deal with all the scalability issues. They, they optimize their platform specifically for WooCommerce. They help you deal with upgrades. They do a lot of cool stuff to make your life easier as a WooCommerce merchant and help you sell more. So if that sounds interesting, you can check them out and learn more at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web and get started for as low as $39 a month. And secondly, a big thank you going out to Clavio, who makes email marketing automation incredibly easy and powerful. Chances are you've heard of them if you're in the community, if you listen to the e-commerce school podcast, a lot of people use and love these guys. You may not have heard though about their new, very cool documentary series on the web called Beyond Black Friday. And this is where they go inside of companies like Chubby's, Sunski, Love is Project, and do a deep dive on their email marketing strategies, what they're doing, what's working in a very cool format video. So you get a sense of the company and also the strategies that are driving their sales and their growth via email. So very cool. They've got a number of episodes up and live at this point. You can check those out at ecommercefuel.com forward slash beyond, B-E-Y-O-N-D. And if you're not a Clavio, you can get started and test drive them for free at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. All right, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. RJ, so I have to lead with a question that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to spend most of the time talking about, but you've had a really cool career. You've been involved with a lot of big, well-known companies. You're the chairman of, of ClickBank, the CEO of Technorati back in the, uh, you know, about a decade ago or so. And you've seen this, this whole, you know, the whole span of the last 10, 15 years of the internet and opportunity. And, you know, if you had to pick between 
starting a business today versus back then. Back then, the barriers to entry were much higher, but there was also less demand versus today, way more people, but you know, a lot more competition and, and lower barriers to entry. Where, when would you start a business? Where do you think there's more opportunity? Well, I think I would start a business in both eras, uh, quite frankly, for different reasons. You know, obviously, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, there was probably less competition. And, you know, you had a chance to be a true first mover in different categories. Also, today, I think there's actually, you know, for I, I would actually say there's a thousand times more opportunity today than there was even 10 years ago, simply because it's so much more readily available to too many to more people. And I, I just think that this is the greatest gold rush in the history of mom and pop entrepreneurship right now as we speak. When you say SMB, you mean small, medium business, like businesses that are doing what between, let's say, a quarter of a million and what, maybe five million in revenue? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely mom and pop, solopreneurs, solopreneurs plus one, that kind of thing. Yeah. Why do you think, and so when you say opportunity, it kind of ties into, as I mentioned in the intro, you've, of course, 101 e-commerce trying to acquire 101 FBA style businesses. Why do you think it's been such an overlooked opportunity for so long? Is it just all about size and the fact that that Wall Street and, and, and big money wasn't worth their time given... Obviously, you can get potentially good res- good returns if you if you buy well and you pay you know three four x for a for a really good business. But why don't why do you think it's taken so long for people to start seeing this as an opportunity? Well, I think I think the mom and pops have seen it as an opportunity. And I think there's you know something going on in, in not just our culture but around the world where people you know they want to control their own lives, they want to have their their control of their time, they don't want to report to the man, you know, or they may have been you know laid off and their careers reached a dead end or something like that. So uh, the mom and pops definitely have figured this out. As far as like, you know, the real big money, you know, I think the real big money has noticed this for a long time, but there's, it's in, it's very hard to deploy a lot of capital and either invest in or acquire a lot of small businesses. It's just the transaction cost is, is high, but it's really just like, you know, if you got a billion dollars, it'd be really hard to invest in, you know, a hundred thousand dollars at a time. <laughs> so I think they look for bigger chunks and things that it's easier to deploy the capital. Yeah. So I'd love to get, before I start really digging into to what you're doing with some questions, kind of phrase it up at the top of the show, but in your words, can you kind of give people a sense of what you're trying to do, your goal with 101? Well, what we're really, tr- I mean, it, it gets, you know, some, some of the message gets a little bit garbled because I think people are just focusing on the fact that we're, we are buying and investing in, in a bunch of, you know, private label brands that sell on Amazon. But I think what we're really creating is what I like to, to term a next generation re- retailer. And what I mean by that is that there's a new paradigm in branding or there's a new brand paradigm is even a better way to word it. But, and what I mean by that is it's literally the rise of the micro brands and it's really the micro brand that is co-branded with the prime logo and so you know the unilevers of the world they're clearly still worried about the procter and gambles of the world but they are just as concerned about a thousand you know mom and pop brands that are you know getting in you know the various sewer products that they're selling and that's true for for brands in in every category i've seen this up close and personal where there's very big brands you know that they're getting disintermediated but it's not by a large competitor it's literally by you know a thousand mom and pops or death by you know a thousand paper cuts yeah so so when you're looking to buy stuff are you looking to buy just private label brands but that are that are 100 percent amazon or is that not necessarily have to be part of the equation 
Well, we want we want things that are predominantly, you know, the operating leverage that you get with a marketplace. And, you know, today, one out of every two dollars in, in e-commerce is, uh, you know, being generated on Amazon. So that's really where you start is with Amazon. We're looking at we look at businesses that are predominantly on Amazon. But, you know, you know, a good percentage of our revenue is already off Amazon, especially as brands grow. You know, they start going multi-channel naturally. But but we do like the operating leverage that just leaning into Amazon gives you. And part of that goes back to, you know, kind of what we referenced before about, you know, this massive opportunity for mom and pop entrepreneurs. You know, you know, 10 years ago, I don't think you could, you know, run a $10 million business as a sole proprietor. Today you can, as particularly with FBA. I've met plenty of entrepreneurs who are doing that. And it just is mind blowing that, that, you know, one person could generate so much sales because they're leveraging something like Amazon. If you'll indulge me to play just a, a little bit of devil's advocate, because I think that's kind of fun to, for, for the back and forth and also to, to understand your model more. You know, so I know a number of people that are doing doing kind of similar similar style things, going out trying to buy companies and or, you know, try to do roll ups or at least have a portfolio of companies. And they, when they look at businesses, a lot of them are growing their businesses or they'll look at businesses. And if it's, if it's hundred percent Amazon, that scares them to death because there's so much concentration. And they're also terrified that their portfolio of businesses they already have is growing too quickly on Amazon. And so for them, you know, that Amazon exposure is, is something that scares, you know, really scares them looking forward. And it seems like something for you, you, you take the opposite flip there, uh, opposite perspective and say it's, it's a leverage point, but does the exposure scare you at all in terms of it's, it's, it's so good while it's good, but just the fact that you're so tied to that platform and so dependent on it that, you know, the music could stop at any time based on, you know, the whim of maybe an account manager over there. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I listen to your podcast and, and, you know, some of the other, you know, forums and things and know how big a concern it is. And, and look, it is a real concern. You know, anytime you are solely basing your business on one platform, yes, there's absolutely risk. But I look at it from a little bit different perspective. I believe there's platform risk everywhere. If you're on the open web, you still have platform risk. You have Google risk. You have Facebook risk. You know, all the primary drivers of your traffic can go away, you know, short if you happen to have a million people on an email list, which is awesome if you can. But, you know, that's really hard to build, as you know. <laughs> but, but I mean, I think it's really, you know, important that people understand that you have platform risk, whether you're on Amazon or on the open web with a Shopify store, you still have platform risk. Yeah, I get. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think your 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 store risk is much less. I guess if you are a you have your own Shopify store, and you're 100 percent reliant on paid Facebook ads, you have probably just as much platform risk as you would with with Amazon. It just depends on what your channel of inbound leads is to your own store. So, what about multiples? Like when you guys are are looking to buy right now, I think it's fairly safe to say there's probably never been a better time to sell an internet business apart from maybe say like, you know, the 2000s, early 2000s before the bubble burst, and especially uh, an e-commerce or, you know, an SMB small internet-based business. I just feel like it's a really good time to sell where you're seeing at, you know, a lot of times even young FBA businesses sell for three and a half X or more. So what's, I'm sure, you know, for you, you're trying to get those at the best price you can and mitigate the risk on the buy side. So what kind of multiples are you paying and how are you trying to pay multiples that, that help you, you know, come out on the back end and be able to pay things off faster. Yeah, well, I think the multiples, I mean, I'm not I'm not speaking out of school or telling any secrets or anything like that. There's a, a pr- pretty robust marketplace 
for all you know SMB online businesses, and depending on which you know category you're in, again, there's good data out there. In the FBA space, you know they generally kind of range between two and a half and three three and a half times seller discretionary earnings. That said, you know if it's a smaller business under a half million dollars of GMB, you know you you definitely could pay you know even under two you know for that. And certainly the opposite is true is if something has, you know, eight figures of revenue, it's it's clearly going to go above three and a half times as well. So you do get credit for scale. But, you know, in terms of like overall valuations, you have, have you don't have to look any further than, you know, Bloomberg Terminal or any financial website to see the valuations across the board and all asset classes are as high as they've ever been. So so, you know, that that kind of trickles down to all asset classes. How many businesses, I guess, how long have you been doing this and how many businesses have you acquired so far? So we started, I think we incorporated February 4th and then we, we really didn't get started until like March 1st when we had our first couple of teammates uh, join the picnic table. That's how we started the company around a picnic table, literally a picnic table. <laughs> And we ran it there for, for six months. Yeah, we had teams started March 1st and we looked at and part of what we were trying to do is just prove that we could, you know, it's a grand vision. So we had to prove that we could do it fast as well as as efficiently. As, so when, in 60 days, we looked at 400 businesses and we had eight in LOI in 60 days. So that was a little bit of a Herculean task, I will say. Closing them took a little bit longer, and we kind of had to delay the closing on some just because it was, you know, three and a half people sitting around a picnic table. We also had to start operating them, too, <laughs> which is a whole nother. We could do a whole nother podcast, but no, we can get into it. But yeah, it was quite an adventure. But yeah, we bought 18. We have uh, 14 brands. We're operating in probably a dozen marketplaces. You know, we're international. We have entities in the UK and Germany and, and a number in the United States here. Okay. So started in March, have bought uh, 14 or 15, I guess, 18 businesses so far and with the goal to do 100. And, and can you talk a little bit about your team? You said you had four people that started. What does your team look like now? And you also, you know, you've elaborated in the past about you've got a much larger team, you know, 40 plus people behind you, but they weren't, you, you kind of made made reference to them that they weren't part of like the in-house team, but you were able to, to really kind of bring them on board and leverage their expertise. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what your team looks like? To go back, we bought eight businesses and 14 brands, just to, to kind of clarify that. So our plans in our you know, early 2019, we'll start buying again and, and you know, try and do the other 90 that set out to do. Uh, knock on wood. Good luck with that, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, I shoot for the stars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the team, you know, we started adding people, you know, as we started closing deals. So we're between, you know, full-time employees and full-time uh, contract or consultants equivalents and things like that. We're about 20 people now. How do you do the operations side? That's always interesting to me because you talked about, you talked about small independent, very niche brands being able to, to really take, they're taking so much more of the market share of, uh, especially in the consumer good space. You reference, you know, like uh, Procter and & Gamble and, and Unilever, those, those types of companies. And it's true, they're, they're definitely 
doing so much better than the big brands. But one of the reasons are is because they are so focused. You know, talking like we both know Bill Dallas Andrew. He's a he's a good friend of mine, and I think he would he would admit that you know the hardest part of what he's trying to do is kind of a big portfolio of a lot of consumer brands is trying to maintain that brand identity and you know the focus and the personality of that brand at scale and trying to do that with a hundred businesses is is I'm sure you know could be a challenge. So how do you think about that? trying to not not kill what makes the the company or the private brand special being that focus while also trying to scale the portfolio do you have with your team do you try to have one operator who focuses on each each brand or maybe at most you know three or four and how does that how do you think about that because that's that's hard that's gonna be hard to do i would imagine that's that's something you have to do even in, in you know in the m a process is really kind of target what is special and and there are different things that are special about each of our brands some of them are just more you know some of them are actually elegant brands that we think have a lot of opportunity to grow possibly into you know completely independent you know units themselves whereas other other of our brands are, are kind of more tuck in and what they've achieved is something more you know akin to really good search rank on amazon so you know there there is a lot of portfolio theory behind what we're doing you know if you buy 100 brands you know hopefully by accident we'll buy three mini unicorns or something <laughs> i won't take credit if we if we happen to stumble on them but it clearly not every brand is going to to have the same opportunity to grow in terms of how you 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 know uh, scale that we're, we're literally trying to figure that out as we speak so after we closed the eighth business we intentionally decided to take what i call a digestive pause the reason for that is you know we had to kind of like just take a step back a to operate you know what we had acquired and b to kind of design the architecture so to speak of how we would go do it another 90 plus times and then operate, you know, this whole thing. So we're, we're getting to a good place about, you know, how we're going to kind of set this up, but it's definitely not set in stone and it's, it's definitely a work in progress. I'd love to hear your thoughts on hiring and bringing people on board and incentivizing people. Cause I'd imagine that's a, that's a part of building out a team is, is giving them some ownership. And you had a job listing on the ECF job boards. Thank you, by the way. And yeah. And, you know, you mentioned in there that you were offering stock options for someone to come on, which is pretty, which is very cool. That's something that tends to be seen a lot in the tech space, you know, Silicon Valley startup style world, but, but less so in the, you know, kind of the SMB e-commerce space, which I thought was interesting. So yeah. I mean, is that a pretty big part of, as you're building your team out, giving them a lot of equity ownership and equity incentive, either true equity and stock options or some kind of big profit share? Well, you know, I like to, I like, you know, the, the teammates to you know, have a, a true sense of ownership, literally and metaphorically. And yes, I do come from, you know, most of my, the last 25 years, I've been in Silicon Valley or, or tech startups that were, they're similar to, to Silicon Valley. So, you know, stock options and equity are, are a big part of the motivation for people to do that. You know, the, the interesting thing though, is like in your community, you have so many people that own their own businesses and that's the way they they have equity. And in ours, you know, we have team and, and we're dividing up the pie, you know, amongst the team. And, and you know, hopefully, you know, it, it ends up being a, a good ROI, so to speak. Yeah. Why, RJ, when we talked, we, we kind of chatted, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago and got to know each other, just casual call. And 
And I remember you talking about, you know, why you did this and, and you know, you've had a, a great career, had the chance to maybe take, you know, take some time off or even retire and, and do some other things and opting in to do something like this. It's exciting, but it's also, you know, you're committing for a, a pretty audacious project that's going to be fairly life consuming. So why, what made you decide to do this? What was, you know, what, when, when you didn't have to, what went into that decision? I think I am absolutely stupid and crazy sometimes, but <laughs> most entrepreneurs are. I mean, you know, you kind of go do anything, you know, if you're, if you're a mom and pop and starting a, a sole proprietorship, that that takes a, a little insanity to do it. You know, there's much safer things to do. But, you know, the story of kind of how I, I even, you know, stumbled upon this idea in the first place was I was trying to retire, you know, and but I just figured I'm, I'm kind of too young to do nothing. So I, I really had this, you know, pipe dream of buying a small SMB business, not necessarily even FBA, that, you know, somebody had already done all the hard work. And really, all I had to do is kind of you know twist the knobs and, and adjust the levers every once in a while. And, you know, make a little side income, but it was more, it wasn't even financial. I was really thinking that I just kind of wanted to keep my brain fresh, but I didn't actually want a big commitment. <laughs> but I, I, so I started looking at a bunch of small businesses uh, in various, you know, business brokers and, and whatnot. And I just kept coming back to FBA and noticing, wow, there was a lot of these for sale and there was a lot of them selling. And literally like four years ago, there was virtually no secondary market for FBA businesses. So I was like, well, that's interesting. This kind of market just kind of popped up. And so the big struggle for me was really deciding, hey, do I just kind of like do this on my own and, you know, have a lifestyle business or do I climb Mount Everest? <laughs> uh, and I think I decided uh, on the ladder and Sometimes, you know, I, 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 the air is thin up there and I, 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 my brain isn't too clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the challenge that always pulls you in. It's literally that. The challenge was there and I was like, God, let's, let's go try and build something really, really massive and let's, you know, completely ruin our work-life balance and all that good stuff. I'm curious, do you, when you're looking at, I'm sure you get a whole list of criteria, where in that list of criteria does a very lean team base or even a single single owner business fall for a couple of reasons? Uh, the biggest one is, I would imagine, you know, a very efficient business, which is something you're looking for, but also on your side, something that you can likely introduce into your portfolio pretty easily if it's run by one person. And also, maybe as a second part to that question, do you think do you think employees are getting, you know, you look forward 10, 15 years, do you think we're going to see a drastic decrease in the number of employees that companies hire with just technology, with the availability of contractors to do specialized stuff. Is that something that you see? So maybe two-part question there, but I'll lob it over. Well, let me answer the first one. I mean, the, the second one first, and that's that automation, you know, is absolutely a real thing. And it's going to be a real issue for our entire society in the next 10 to 15 years. I've seen various economists saying that just in the United States alone, automation could, you know, decimate 25 to 30 million jobs. And that, that's going to be a real thing because there are new jobs, you know, Historically, and there's disintermediation. Yes, there's pain, but new jobs come in, different indus new industries and things like that. 
but these jobs are just going to go away, you know, to machines and robots and things like that. So that is something I think, you know, there's a lot of thought about that in Silicon Valley and it's definitely going to happen. And, you know, it's a little bit concerning and, and something we all should think about. Now to the answer, to answer the first question, absolutely. That was one of the things that was so attractive to me about, you know, Amazon businesses was, you know, just the operating leverage that one person could get on the platform. You know, if you're running, a, you know, a Shopify store, you can you can kind of get that, but you have to have, be really good at a bunch of different things to kind of do a Shopify store. To be on Amazon, you have to be good at a couple things, and you can really just have this insane profitability. You know, one of the things I reckon the, the metaphor I like to use with, you know, when I think about FBA is I think that you're outsourcing, you know, everything that's hard about e-commerce. A, you don't have to worry about traffic. B, you have a great customer experience of zero to two day free shipping, you know, on Amazon's customer service. C, you have an ad platform already, you know, built in. <laughs> and then D, you have, you know, the customer, you know, uh, or, or the CRM system with the customer kind of built in. There's some limitations with that, of course, but, you know, you just outsourced a whole bunch of things that are just really hard to do from an e-commerce perspective, starting with traffic. What, you know, somebody's listening to this, maybe we'll, we'll kind of give you details and someone who's interested in talking to you or maybe even selling their, their FBA business. We can kind of wrap up with that, but... Before we do, why? What do you try to do to distinguish yourself as a buyer of businesses? You know, let's say you go out there and it's a competitive marketplace, and you know people have options when they sell, especially if it's an attractive, well-run, profitable business. So, why? You know, why do you think it's advantageous for someone to sell to you versus a different buyer? Well, there's obviously a financial component to that too, but I think one of the most important things, and this is true for the sell side as well, is just you know, integrity, you know, in treating people fairly and, you know, honestly and, and give them a fair deal, you know, because again, we would not be able, if, if we developed the reputation of being a bunch of jerks and assholes and stuff, there's not a lot of people that would want to do business with us unless we, you know, hit them over the head with a really big bag of cash. You know, the flip side of that is if you act like a good person, you're fair, you're honest, you're transparent, you know, people want to do business with you. So, you know, and, and I can I can even tell you, like, even with some of the business brokers, I think we've got a very good you know reputation with them because you know, we're always we're always trying to be good people. And it's absolutely true on the sell side, too. I know that, you know, it's very scary if you're you know a small business person. This is the first time you've ever sold a company. You know, some people are really paranoid and scared, you know, about sharing too much information or just letting their guard down. But the reality is like, you know, I've walked away from plenty of deals, not just in this current endeavor, but over my, my whole lifetime, simply because I just didn't like the person, which made me not trust them. So I, I just highly encourage everybody in their everyday life, hey, be a good person. But but particularly, you know, M and A is really hard. So it helps if you like the people. Yeah, so true. I mean, it was there was someone I was talking to this this last week who took a a lower price for something because it was just a you know it was a better fit with the with the person who was buying. And so many times deals go for not top dollar because of secondary considerations. And you know, trusting people goes a long way. That's really common, by the way. It's really common not taking the, the, the highest offer. 
Richard, so if, if people are interested in potentially selling or, or talking to you about that, your website, 101-commerce.com, you've got a sell your biz tab there where people can kind of fill out uh, some some high-level stats on their business and you guys will be in touch. Is that the best way for them to, for people to get in touch with you? Yes, it is. It is. And I would, I would clarify there that, yes, we want to hear from people, but, you know, we're looking for businesses that probably have done at least, you know, a half million dollars in gross merchandise value in the last 12 months, just to kind of give you an idea of like a minimum scale threshold um you know if you're not there you know, we, we certainly also you know don't mind hearing from you and and we like tracking companies and and you know seeing their progress as well well before we wrap things up i'd love to do a quick lightning round with you if you're up for it just you know rapid fire fast answers to a few questions sound good sure sure go for it all right what's something you've changed your mind about recently yeah, I literally just kind of had a revelation. I've been doing ketogenic diet for three and a half years or so, and I've started implementing more cheat meals and cheat days where I carb it up and like go crazy. And, and that, that's a big thing that changed. Uh, so I do that a lot more frequently, and I find that it actually heightens my ketosis when I go back into it. What is something you're currently spending too much money on? Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bezos, <laughs> or, or you're I welcome. My, perhaps my wife that spends too much. I don't know. <laughs> we spend too much. <laughs> oh, it's scary to go in there and look at the annual order tally. I don't even want to see it. What's something you're not spending enough money on? Probably my own recreation. <laughs> What's the maximum number of days you think it's acceptable to wear a pair of jeans without washing them? You mean you wear jeans? You, you wash your jeans? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. We'll go 30 plus days. So <laughs> just for breeze, don't even need to wash them. What's one of the top three items on your bucket list? Something you want to do before you die and haven't yet done? Retire. And I have done it, but I haven't done it successfully. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what, what non-business and non-family thing are you most proud of? Probably just a sense of intellectual adventure and curiosity. I love to travel and, and that's changed my life in so many ways, not just traveling, but also taking the time off. And it's, I think it's become my super skill. So I guess I'd say I'm proud of knowing to, you know, kind of want to take the foot off the gas pedal and, and go smell the roses in other places. Yeah, and I usually don't dive in too much on this this round, but when you say super skill, what do you mean by that? Like your ability to recharge quickly with travel or, or what do you mean? To kind of turn off, you know, I was literally just talking to somebody yesterday who had had a decent liquidity event. They they were off for three weeks before they started something else. And I'm kind of like, hey, you know, you just charged hard for seven or eight years. Why don't you just, you know, take six months off and see what it's like to, you know, live life. So I think that's that's a, what I call a, a super skill and something that everybody should do. There's, you have to have a little bunch of different super skills. But I think, you know, knowing how to like turn it off. And kind of let yourself see more of life is a really important skill. That's cool. I think that's a pretty rare thing. I think there's, you know, a lot of times the people who can build businesses to have major, a lot of freedom or can build businesses and have, you know, major liquidity events, like you said, that where they can retire, especially retire early, are, are not the type of people who are well suited to be able to take long chunks of time off. And so it's kind of like this double-edged, you know, it's this curse, right? Like the people who can enjoy the time a lot of times are not the type of people who can create something that allows them to have that time. So that's, that's pretty cool. You can do both. Now, it sounds like you've done pretty good at, at, at figuring out how to at least not be 100 miles an hour and, and still 
be engaged with what you're doing with ECF. Yeah, thanks. I've I've tried to. It's uh, it comes and goes in phases, right? Like depending on different parts of of the business and where you are. But I'm not sure if I've mastered it quite as well as you have, but aspire to at least. <laughs> so we, we can we can encourage each other. That was good. Well. RJ, super interesting business. Wish you the best as you know, as you're chasing that 101, 101st acquisition. And if you're listening, you've got an FBA business that's doing at least 500K or has done 500K in, in Rev over the last year. And you're interested in chatting with RJ or potentially selling uh, 101-commerce.com is where you should check out. So RJ, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. If you're listening to this and you own your own e-commerce business, and chances are probably pretty good that you do if you've gotten this far through the episode, you need to check out our private community for store owners. It's a, a vetted group of over a thousand store owners and experienced professionals. And the reason it's different is, is just like I mentioned, it's vetted. We go through and we require all new members have a seven-figure business. They actually have experience in the space. And we go through and we review all applications to make sure everyone's legit when they come in. And then once everyone gets inside, it's not a free-for-all. We, we moderate in ways where if people are being jerks or you know behaving inappropriately, we toss them out. If people come in and do nothing but ask questions, we toss them out. We really value experience. We value reciprocity. And it's a place where you're going to be able to connect with other store owners to learn what's working, but also make good friends. Like some of my best friends I have met through this community. And I know that others can say that as well. So if you're interested in learning more and applying for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And of course, I want to give a huge thank you to the shoe sponsors who make this show possible. First to Liquid Web, who offers the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store online, a scalable rock solid platform. If you want to learn more about them and how they can supercharge your WooCommerce store, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash liquid web. And also to the team over at Clavio, who makes email automation incredibly easy and powerful. You can get started for free and test drive their platform at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Clavio. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate your time and you following the podcast and looking forward to catching you again next Friday. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next time.